Okay, uh, we've been doing this sermon series now. This is the third week, third week of Lent, um, about the colics of Thomas Cranmer. And uh, that was the first Anglican Archbishop of Canterbury. You'll remember the first week we walked with Jesus for 40 days and 40 nights as he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And then last week we heard from Cranmer's colic that we have no power in ourselves to even help ourselves out of our predicaments. And this week we're going to hear the theme, Defend Us From Our Enemies. And we pray that colic together that goes, We beg you, Almighty God, look upon the hearty desires of your humble servants and stretch forth your hand of majesty to be our defense against all our enemies through Jesus Christ our Lord. What a beautiful colic. And that's our theme. So three things today. Uh, mankind's true enemies. Who, who is our enemy, first of all? Uh, what did God do for us against that enemy? And number three, what difference does that make in our lives when we apply that to our lives? So, so whom should we fear? Who is our enemy? Now I've got a short video for you to, to illustrate that this morning. Those are the three topics, mankind's true enemy, what God did for us, and the difference that makes in our lives. It is all about you. Now the greatest collection of me worship ever assembled on one CD. It's all about now I lift my name on high. All 20 songs, all about you. This amazing collection is great to share with friends, if you have any. Everyone can join in the worship with you, for you, and about you. Because you are unique, and you love you. There is none like me. This for only $19.95. Operators are standing by to serve you. And I am why I sing. And I am why I live. If you order now, you'll also receive a second CD of Yule Tide Favorites. Call 1-800-Me-Me-Me. Or order online at me-myself-and-I.com. Call today because no one can praise you like you. <laughs> I know it, it's a funny video, but it does illustrate our true enemy. That guy is more than a little full of himself, isn't he? Full of ego, full of pride, full of self, which brings me to our chief enemy, which is pride. Theologians say that from that one enemy, pride, comes all the other sins in our lives. So I want us to look at that today through Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. If you'll uh, turn with me in your scriptures, if you have your Bible, chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 1 to 10. And Paul says in verse 1 of that same letter that he wrote, And you were dead in the trespasses of your sins in which you once walked. Now you can always count on Paul, can't you, to tell you bluntly about human nature. You were dead in your trespasses. Now Paul there is describing every single person in this church today. Every man or woman, born of woman, born under the law, born in the flesh, you have no wiggle room. Before Christ, that's the picture of who you were. Here's a picture of who you used to be. 
You were once dead. Dead. You were like the walking dead. Those zombies who have no control over their destiny. Okay? Um, the word there is used as necros. Okay? And that's the same word from which we get necrology. And uh, in a few weeks, the diocese uh, will meet at their convention. And part of the diocesan business will be to do the necrology report. Long, boring reading of everybody who's died within the past year and has been connected to the diocese. But guess what? It's the necrology report. They're dead. They're in the grave. Beyond Jesus coming on the last day to raise them up to new life, they're going to stay in the grave. That's the picture of who we were. Dead. In the grave. Beyond ourselves to help ourselves, as Tyler said last week. But should we be surprised? Isn't that what God warned us about? He warned Adam and Eve. He said, I love you. Eat of anything in my garden, except for this one tree in the midst of the garden. For the day in which you eat of that tree, you will certainly, what? Die. You'll die. And they did. And we are. We're dead in our sins, separated from God, and one day we'll physically die. There's a wonderful Scottish theologian whose name is John Eady, and he wrote this. Men without Christ are death walking. The beauties of holiness do not attract man in his moral insensibility, nor the miseries of hell deter him. Wow. Before Christ Jesus, we're so dead that the beauties of the gospel and of God don't attract us, and the fear of hell cannot deter us from our trajectory. God and God alone must save us. So let's look at verse 2b and 3. And we will find out who our enemy truly is. Paul says this. In which you once walked. That's your old dead state. Following the course of the world. Following the prince of the power of air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived. In the passions of our flesh. These are the things that we followed. And that word followed is really weak. In the Greek it means to be literally in bondage to or to be mastered by. It means a slave to a master. So we have three points of spiritual bondage that Paul is mentioning this morning. The course of the world. Uh, turn the television on. You see our culture and how self-interested it is, right? I mean, just look at Paris Hilton, how self-interested a person she is. Look at the athlete formerly known as Bruce Jenner. How self-interested he really is. Look at the whole Kardashian family. They're self-centered. They're prideful. It's all about me, as the guy sung. The spirit of the air, who is that? Well, that's Satan. And who is he? He's the angel that did not uh, just want to glorify God forever, but, but would not submit himself or or put himself in joyful obedience to God, but wanted to be like God. So he's a prideful angel that was overthrown. Number three, what about the flesh? What does Paul say? That, that word is sarks. And normally we think about sins of sexual nature, of a sexual nature when we think of sarks. But it's really sins of the flesh, anything that we, we feed our flesh with. It's all about me. So those three bondages, what do they all do? They point to us. The prideful culture that seeks its own vain glory. 
a prideful angel who wanted to be like God, who saw his vain glory, and prideful, self-centered human beings in the flesh who seek their vain glory. Don't you love that word, vain glory? It's an old English word. It means to have an unhealthy um, pride in one's own personal beauty or one's own achievements in life. And that's why we pray in the great litany of the Anglican Church. Lord, from all inordinate and sinful affections, from all the deceits of the world, and I'll put it up there for you, the flesh and the devil, good Lord, deliver us. The world, the flesh, and the devil, sinful, prideful. Remember how we began this Lenten journey, Ash Wednesday? Jesus says that even religious people can be after their vain glory. Because every year we read from Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus says this to religious people. This is to you and me. Jesus says, beware of practicing your religion to be seen by people. It's all about me. He says, when, when you go and give your alms, don't sound a trumpet and make a big deal drawing attention to yourself. He said, when you pray, don't, don't use lofty words to draw attention to yourself. He says, when, when you fast, don't grimace your face up in such a way that everybody is wowed by how spiritually intense you are. He said, for when you do these things, it's all about you. And guess what? You've received your reward. And your reward is a stoked ego and prideful human nature. My friends, pride is our greatest enemy. That's the one we need to be defended from today. Because it destroys our passion for life, it robs us of our joy, and it corrupts our souls. You know, the culture will say, well, all you really need is a little more self-esteem. That's the last thing we need is self-esteem. What we need is God's esteem, God's approval, God's love. You see, Madonna, she based her whole self-image off of self-esteem, remember? She was a great pop singer, beautiful woman. Well, she said this in Vogue recently. She said this, now that her beauty is gone, her vainglory is gone. She said, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past in one moment and find myself to be a special human being. But then I start to feel mediocre and uninteresting again. Unless I do something else. Because even though I've become somebody now, I have to continually prove I am somebody. This pattern has never ended, and I guess it never will. The search for vain glory. To have people say, what a great person you are. What a sad, pitiable creature she's become. You see, the reason, the way to fix this is to do what G.K. Chesterton once did. G.K. Uh, was a Roman Catholic theologian, uh, kind of campy, kind of uh, folksy, sort of like our C.S. Lewis. And there are a group of people who were once asked to write an essay, uh, all these theologians, and turn it into the London Times to be printed over in England. And the question that they were asked is, what is wrong with the world today? Here's the beauty of G.K. He wrote back, he said, Dear sirs, in response to your question, what is wrong with the world today? He said, I have two words, I am, I am. You see, he got it right. We don't need more self-esteem to be boosted up. We need to find God's esteem. This is the enemy. It's within us. We need God's esteem to find peace. We need God's approval. 
or else we'll be like Madonna, depressed and sullen and crushed as our vain glory fades. Our approval and acceptance must be by God. Look at Ephesians 3b uh, to uh, verse 7 in chapter 2. You were once children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 3. Like the rest of humanity, uh, you were by nature deserving God's wrath. Now, I know that's a heavy word, wrath. But creatures that were formed for God's glory, whenever they seek their own glory, God's righteous anger is kindled. That's the wrath that he righteously has for, for sinners who seek their vain glory. But, verse 4, the greatest conjunction in all the Bible but God showed that he was rich in mercy, great in love. Let me put that out there for you. God showed that he is rich in mercy. And I... There we go. Okay. God proved that he was rich in mercy, great in love, and that he will raise us up to new life. And look at verse 5 with Jesus in the heavenly places. Now, it doesn't say one day he will seat us there. It says that when you receive Jesus by grace, through faith, receive his love and the work he did for, on the, for you on the cross, you are already seated with Jesus in majesty. You have God's approval and love already. And that is your self-esteem because it's built on God's approval, not man's. And that will always be with you. And if you'll apply that worth and that dignity to your life, there's nothing life can throw at you that will put you in the dumps because you've been approved of by God himself. One of my favorite verses is this. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Don't, don't get me wrong. It is the gift of God, Paul says. Not a result of works that no one may boast. That word boast there. Uh, Tim Keller makes a big deal of that. He said it's, it's literally in the ancient world uh, where uh, a commander of an army that's outmatched will go before the, uh, the uh, army at his hands and pump them up with a false sense of hope the day before the battle. He'll ride before them and say, look, look at our beautiful chariots. Aren't they grand? We're going to win tomorrow. He'll say, look at our archers. They're the best in the world. We got this covered, guys. Look at the infantry. They're the hardest guys on the face of this earth. Our confidence is in this army, and our enemy is weak. We're going we're gonna to rout them tomorrow, building them up on a false sense of self-esteem. Paul says when you receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, boasting is over. You don't boast in yourself. You don't puff yourself up with a false sense of self-esteem. You boast in Jesus. He is your victor. In him is victory. And he raises you up to be seated in glory with him. Now, Psalm 20, verse 7 says this. Some trust in chariots, some in their horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So here we are, folks. 
Our greatest enemy, it's here. It's ego. It's pride. It's all about me. The truth about what God did for us, by grace you've been saved through faith. No works that you've done. And he's lifted you up to the heavenly places. You're approved of by God's love and mercy. You see, even religious folks need to remind themselves of this. Because pride in religious people leads to moralism. And moralism leads us to, to reach deeper and, and want to try harder and want to win our approval. And it, it, preachers are some of the worst people. We, we look at the average Sunday attendance and we compare that with other preachers in the diocese. Uh, we, we get down and depressed when you don't say enough good words about our sermons or our teachings or what a great pastor we are. But you guys aren't immune to it either, are you? You get upset when you've worked every single day in the tea room for two weeks and nobody even said a thank you to me. <laughs> or, or look at all that I've done for you all my life, God, and, and look, you've given me cancer? What a thank you is that? You see, it's all about me. Even religious people fall into that. You owe me, God. You owe me, St. Paul's. It's that student who must make an A on every test or they feel like they're a terrible person. It's the person who's got to have that Ivy League degree or they feel like they're a failure in life. It's boasting in anything else other than Jesus that leads to our destruction. Paul says we're mastered by self. We're, we're in control by self. We're in a slave relationship with self. And the only way to break it is to make Jesus Christ your victor. It's amazing that the kind of peace that Christ offers when we have our satisfaction in him alone. You know, years ago, I'll end with this, uh, there was a guy named Stifelkowski, and he was in the war between 1939 and 1944. And a group of people, Polish uh, prisoners, were taken prisoner by, uh, into prison by the Russians and tried for war crimes. There was this intense interrogation that went on beforehand to break them spiritually and mentally, exposing their weaknesses and character flaws, challenging their integrity so that they might be open to suggestion. Guess what? Of the 16 Polish freedom fighters, only one withstood the interrogation. And that was a guy named Stipulkowski. Later, he was asked, how in the world did you stand up under that interrogation? And he said, quite humbly, when they showed me I was a coward, I already knew that. When they shook their finger and made accusations that I have filthy thoughts and lewd feelings, I already knew that. When they showed me a reflection of myself with all my inadequacies, I could tell them, but gentlemen, I'm much worse than that. You see, he concluded, I've been taught since my earliest of ages as a child that it is unnecessary for me to justify myself any longer. One has already done that for me, and his name is Christ Jesus. He is our esteem, God esteem. And if you are loved by God and saved by grace through faith, then there is nothing the world can throw at you that Christ can't handle. So that's how we win. In a mighty fortress is our God, Martin Luther's hymn. He says, the prince of darkness grim, but we don't have to tremble for him. His rage we can't endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about me. Amen.